This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 205 of The Bugle for the week beginning Monday, the 20th of August, 2012. I... I'm Andy Saltzman, alone and bereft in the city that was London 2012, the nation that was Team GB and the planet that was Sportopia. And in New York City, the city that wisely avoided hosting the Olympics and therefore isn't having to go through this very painful cold turkey process, it's John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. I guess that's it, Andy. If you can't handle the calm down, <laughs> don't take the Class A sport drug. <laughs> yeah. I guess first off, Andy, the question that I'm sure is on everyone's mind is... Are you okay, Andy? Well, I wouldn't deny this has been one of the toughest weeks of my life, John. I mean, the Olympics is finally over. I know yeah. that can't be easy for you. Have you been watching YouTube videos of the 1960 Rome Olympics just to try and wean yourself off sport gradually? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean there was some terrific stuff in that Olympics as well. So, um, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I was mean, wondering, I was wondering, Andy, have you been forcing your children to participate in Olympic-style events around the house <laughs> just to come down slowly you know, instead of hurdles? Get them to run around the garden, jumping over boxes. Instead of fencing, putting a colander on each of their heads and getting them to hit each other with pieces of copper piping. <laughs> instead of throwing the discus, standing them at the top of the stairs and seeing how far they can throw the plates. And instead of throwing the hammer, just having them throw actual hammers at each other. <laughs> well, I was watching the closing ceremony, Andy, yep. half expecting to see you burst into the middle of the arena screaming, No! Don't do it! The Olympics is only over if we say it is. If we don't officially close it, it never has to end. Who's with me? We can do this! Well, we basically invented the Olympics, John, through mm-hmm. uh, both in ancient Greece, which of course subsequently became British society, and uh, the modern Olympics that uh, you know, Kubatan was inspired to form after a visit to Britain. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we surely have the right to just extend them. Yeah, as as long as as long as possible, John. We can, I mean, look, it's already become clear in the few days since the Olympics ended that reality is still as shit as it was before the Olympics. <laughs> it is an act of grotesque governmental irresponsibility to have allowed that to happen. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. Well, it isn't this week. There is no section in the bin. Life is in the bin. <laughs> Oh, God, this is what I was worried about. <laughs> well, at least there's some cricket on, but we're being stuffed by the South Africans again. Oh, dear. Top story this week, US presidential election 2012. Vote or sigh. Andy, I think that the US presidential election season is actually the perfect way for you to transition from <laughs> your addiction to the Olympics because they actually have a lot in common. Those two two events. Think about it. The whole thing happens every four years. It's two people racing each other. After going round and round in circles, one will eventually be declared the winner. It's incredibly expensive to put on, and there's just as much corporate involvement that slightly soils the whole event. It's perfect, Andy. It's like a nicotine patch for a debilitating sports addiction. And there was a big development this week. Mitt Romney finally picked his running mate, and he went with Wisconsin Congressman... Paul Ryan, a move which seemed to energise the base of the Republican Party, who love to be energised by conservative picks around this time of year. Now, some people might say, why the hoopla? 
It's only the vice president. Why is everyone getting excited over a largely ceremonial role? Well, because that is simply no longer the case. You are thinking with a pre-year 2000 mentality. Because <laughs> it, it was around that time that Dick Cheney managed to successfully change his job description into something significantly more powerful than the job he signed up for. With Cheney, the Republicans seem to unlock their ideal formula for a presidential ticket, a sinister puppet master pulling the strings of a happy-go-lucky wooden boy. <laughs> the, the aim for the Republicans at the start of any search for a presidential candidate is now to find a nominee who's essentially an empty, amiable husk, just palatable <laughs> enough to disguise the poisonous substance of their running mates. Th- think, about, think about the track record. Bush, Cheney, McCain, Palin, and now Romney Ryan. Because Paul Ryan might look like an average... Midwestern, good-looking man who was walking down the street when a Brooks Brothers store exploded all over him. <laughs> but, but he wants to end Medicare, has spent the last few years driving John Boehner, the Speaker of the House here, into almost unprecedented levels of obstructionism. Now, you might think, why don't Republicans just nominate the person they actually want in the first place? Why didn't they just nominate Paul Ryan if they like him so much? Well, because they know that you cannot shoot pure heroin, Andy. It will f- <laughs> kill you. You have to cut it with baking soda, and that is what they've done here. <laughs> I cannot tell you, Bugle, the amount of empirical research that John has done into that joke ever since I, his I, troubled I, early teenage years in Bedford. <laughs> the heroin capital of, right. of hearts, beds and bucks. When in Rome. Um, well, yes, he, I mean, it seems like many Republicans, too, love the concept of women having all the possible babies that they may or may not want and of poor people mm-hmm. retaining the God-given right to die untreated in the maximum amount of pain. Um, so I guess uh, you see he's appealing clearly to the Republican, Republican heartland. That's right, Andy, but what you're selling is not something that you can appeal to people with on the top half of your ticket. So that's why this system they found works. It's like <laughs> when you give a dog a pill for worms. It's never going to eat that pill on its own. The pill is clearly disgusting. So you hide that pill in a bowl of cottage cheese. And if the Republicans have their way, Andy, come November, America is going to have cottage cheese all over its face and not realise what it's just eaten. <laughs> <laughs> This, the concept is nothing new. Look at the ancient Greeks. They invented democracy, and when they sacked the city of Troy, they didn't just show up with a bunch of crazy Greeks. They put a bunch of crazy Greeks inside an empty wooden horse. <laughs> what I'm saying is, Romney is that empty wooden horse, and Paul Ryan is a bunch of crazy Greeks. <laughs> I don't remember that, that horse being quite as much of a dick, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, was, that is the one flaw in that metaphor, Andy, but that is a, that's a fair point. So the Trojans would have said, let's get rid of this f***ing horse. <laughs> this horse is an arsehole. <laughs> also, it's this horse does around not... in a ludicrous way <laughs> to horse... stupid classical music. This horse does not pay enough taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you just hate the success of horses. Andy, <laughs> You're trying to punish the success of that horse. But that is the concern with this... Election in November, the Democrats have an old-fashioned ticket. They're stuck in the 20th century, Andy, in a time when the vice president was just supposed to be America's clown, accidentally insulting people during state visits, giving thumbs-up to people at a funeral, maybe swearing at some schoolchildren, just generally causing a distraction. Under the modern Republican Party... All of that is the president's job, <laughs> providing a smokescreen while the Machiavellian vice president pushes through things without anyone noticing. If the Democrats, Andy, 
want to show a real intention to the country that they intend to get things done over the next four years, they have three weeks before their own convention to switch their ticket around <laughs> and send a message. <laughs> uh, it's got to be Biden-Obama 2012. <laughs> Change you won't even realise is happening. <laughs> I, I promise you, Buglers, this could really work. If we had lived... Under President Biden since 2008, Vice President Obama would have been able to get through a public option for health care, a <laughs> stimulus package twice the size of the one that America got, a comprehensive immigration bill, and he would have been able to close Guantanamo. All the while, President Biden distracted everyone by charmingly and slightly racistly screwing up African dances on the White House lawn. <laughs> well, it's interesting that the, you know, this, this change that you, uh, you pick out among, in the role of... Uh vice presidents, um, because it has, as you say, always been traditionally viewed as pointless. Uh, FDR's yeah. first VP, John Nance Garner, uh, observed that the office is not worth a bucket of warm spit. Um, <laughs> now, the other version of the quotation is that it is not worth a bucket of warm piss. Now, let's think about which one is more likely and which one has been clearly moderated <laughs> for public yes. use. I mean, when you filled up a bucket with spit, that's Quite a lot of spit that takes. That is going to yeah. clearly cool to ambient room temperature. Mm -hmm. So you would have to reheat it to get a bucket of warm spit. Whereas piss, yeah. I mean, you're going straight in with that. You are going. He clearly said piss. He clearly said it's worth a bucket of warm piss. Um, he's Harry, such a great historian of human language. <laughs> well, that's, you've, got to, you've got to read between the lines on these things. Um, the 28th Vice President, Thomas R. Marshall, lamented once there were two brothers, one went away to sea, the other was elected Vice President, and nothing was heard of either of them again. <laughs> and uh, interestingly, uh, Theodore Roosevelt admitted to sleeping through sessions and, according to one source, enrolled in law school whilst Vice, vice President because of boredom. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this shows the kind of desperation uh, that, that, that the office of Vice President can drive someone to that two vice presidents have shot people. <laughs> Is that Dick, true? Dick Cheney, clearly. Oh, yeah. The second. Yeah, of course. And I cannot believe I forgot that. I cannot believe it. And I mean, I think that is only the one that we've heard yeah. about. I think he probably yeah. shot a lot more people than that. And in 1804, the vice president, Aaron Burr, shot and killed the former Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton, in a duel. So... Mm -hmm. uh, well, I guess that was, you know, Cheney could merely say he was restoring an honourable tradition. But um, I, mean, I think the, the other way of looking at it is, is a lot of presidents select a vice president who's going to make them look absolutely awesome. Clearly, uh, Biden does that for Obama. He mm -hmm. had Dan Quayle, um, Al Gore. That's right. Um, Abraham Lincoln had Hannibal Hamlin, uh, who was listed by Time magazine amongst the worst vice presidents ever. <laughs> Apparently, they'd never actually met before he was made vice president. Uh, and he was described as a notorious do-nothing politician who essentially ignored the Civil War. Um, <laughs> that was... L listen, Andy, from what I know of the American Civil War, that was a tricky one to ignore. Yeah, I mean, it was a big... The sound alone. Yeah, it was the a bangs big, and the screaming. Yeah, it was a really big media story at the time, I think, wasn't it? I mean, a, yeah. a lot of the papers went in pretty big on that. Um, and uh, But then Lincoln ditched him, because he clearly wasn't uh, useless enough, Hannibal Hamlin, because uh -huh. he had a, a frankly awesome name. And yeah. he replaced him with Andrew Johnson, who proceeded to prove himself one of the worst presidents in history after Lincoln had cleverly died to make himself <laughs> look absolutely fantastic. <laughs> he timed it perfectly. He really, <laughs> he really dipped for the line, Lincoln. Or, or interestingly, this uh, will mean this will continue uh, the trend um, of the last thirty years that there uh, will not have been a bisyllabic vice president in terms of uh, first name since Walter Mondale. 
since then we've had a George, a Dan, an Al, a Dick, and a Joe. And now we'll have Joe or Paul. So clearly, oh, wow. it, what this shows, that was after 10 consecutive bisyllabic vice president's forenames following John Nance gone. I had the decency to chuck in Nance to compensate for the disappointingly informal John. Uh, and it just shows the declining intellectual capability of America as a nation, that it is clearly no longer ready for a vice president <laughs> with a name that a caveman couldn't say. <laughs> well, well done, Andy. You just managed to powerfully illuminate nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant had Shula Colfax as his vice president. Oh, good name. Now, that is strong work. But, well, for both of them. Yeah. Ulysses S. Grant is good anyway. But that, he, he could have been. He would have. No one would have blamed him for having the most boringly named person with him. <laughs> but no, he took it up a notch. What a ticket! Well, exactly. How can you not? You look at your ballot paper. You see Ulysses S. Grant, Shula Colfax. Yeah. I'm having oh. a piece of that. I don't care what they think. So the the convention season is about to start here in America with the Republican National Convention taking place in Tampa, Florida at the end of August, uh, fittingly being hosted by a city which is a physical and emotional swamp. (laughs) And uh, the Democrats will hold their convention in Charlotte, North Carolina in the first week of September. And sadly, I'm going to be at both of them with The Daily Show for uh, the full duration of the conventions, (laughs) which always provides for me a challenge both to my belief in human nature and my tolerance for balloons. (laughs) So... uh, (laughs) We won't be able to do uh, regular bugles while I'm down there, but we might try to do a quick phone call together uh, like we did four years ago. I believe, if I remember this rightly, Andy, it's a bit hazy, but I believe the last time we did it, we did one basically in the middle of the night where I uh, when I was so tired I was technically lying naked in bed. Is that not true? I thought, well, I've tried to brush that out of my memory. I do, I do <laughs> yeah. remember... I don't remember anything you, uh, from that conversation, Andy, but I yeah. only assume it sounded extremely sexy. Yeah, just, I do just remember the... The mental process of me trying to block out the fact that you were <laughs> you were plums out during an official bugle recording. That was uh, yeah. When you last time during the convention season, you found a wife. So That's like, true. Is, I is can't that... wait to find my next wife. <laughs> that, I mean, this is we're looking at wife, wife two. You know. Statistically, my wife. I will be meeting my second wife <laughs> uh, in two weeks' time. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you who you don't want to tell that joke to, Andy. What yeah. I found out: yeah. your current wife. Oh right, okay. <laughs> Not a fan. Really? Not a fan of that little uh, observation. <laughs> well, you know, if Mitt Romney becomes president and makes Mormonism compulsory, then I'm just yes. going to have to adapt to that, isn't she? I'm just hedging my bets. <laughs> That's right. That well, and my magic underpants. <laughs> now, that, that, I mean, that, is about, that is the one thing I'm waiting for Mitt Romney to come out and say in a debate. Yeah. Just apropos of nothing, I've got magic underpants. <laughs> I've got magic underpants and you can have more than one wives. Oh, what's that sound? Is that my approval rating spiking through the ceiling? I'll see you at the inauguration. You will not hear from me again until then. <laughs> He's been uh, talking about tax again uh, this week, in which um, he said that he paid at least 13% of his income yeah. in taxes. He said that. That's heroic. Said it with a, yeah, with a really celebratory tone yeah. of voice, going, look, it's OK, I did it. I'm proud to have done it. At least 13%. Which I think I'm right in saying is about half the average tax burden uh, of Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, truly a man of the people who shares their pains and their struggles, but more so because he also bears the burden of having to look himself in the mirror every morning without <laughs> smashing his face through it, um, which he, he seems to do quite effectively. Uh, but yeah, he cl- proudly claimed, I paid taxes every single year. Now that's, that is truly, truly heroic. I guess it just allows them to be more philanthropic because uh, you can't be truly philanthropic unless you are, in economic terms, f- 
Rich. And uh, <laughs> Romney has been... You know, he, he's given himself the opportunity to be hugely philanthropic into the humble charitable cause of making himself president. But personally, I, I would not vote for any candidate, John, who owns a horse or a home or a car or his own clothes or a mobile phone or a pencil because I don't think they can truly relate to the problems faced by the lowest strata in society. Good idea. You would go full Lenin, Andy. <laughs> uh, how, I mean, what's your prediction for the uh, the election, John? Because, I mean, from the outside, Romney is a hard man to warm to. He seems to be a bit of a spiritual Siberia. Well, you've got to remember, Andy, that, you know, American elections are always close. No, that's... that's it can seem that that's not the case. Yeah, the last election, Andy, re- really was pretty close, and it will go down to the wire again because the whole... <laughs> The whole of this job is decided essentially by three states, <laughs> and it's not, it's not the healthiest situation. I love them. Just when the returns for Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Florida are about to come in, just keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> A bit more detail on Paul Ryan and his uh, from Wisconsin. He said he's known as the man who puts the sconce into Wisconsin because he just loves wall-mounted lights. <laughs> he simply cannot abide pendants and still less freestanding floor lamps. Uh, in Wisconsin, a local TV uh, station has refused to air uh, a campaign advert showing Ryan tipping an old woman in a wheelchair off a cliff. Um, uh, have you seen this advert? No. All right. <laughs> it's excellent. The, the pro- I, I haven't read the full article about it, so I don't know if it is a Democratic uh, advert or a Republican one, because, I mean, I guess they could probably <laughs> both... Yeah. Both approve. <laughs> yeah, go, yeah. Go with that. I mean, Ryan, uh, it's unclear whether it shows the actual Ryan showing an actual granny off a cliff. He's never explicitly denied hurling old women off cliffs, and that is an eerie silence that frankly speaks volumes of the man. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, it's just hidden, fo- hidden camera footage of his, standi- of his standard Sunday morning stroll to church. Breakfast, kill an old woman, worship the Lord. I mean, that is hard to beat. <laughs> hard to beat. But as with almost all political adverts, it is unlikely to have any effect because Democrats will see it and think, Oh, this man shoves wheelchair-bound grannies to their deaths off cliffs. That is awful. I'm definitely still not going to vote for him, just as I wasn't already not going to vote for him before. (laughs) Whereas Republicans are going to think, he shoves wheelchair-bound grannies to their deaths off cliffs. At last, someone prepared to take tough action to solve this nation's social and economic problems. It's only a start. Would ideally like to see him shove the poor off cliffs as well. But I guess he'll hopefully roll that out over the course of his vice presidency. I'm definitely still going to vote for him, just as I was already going to vote for him before. I (laughs) fucking love democracy. (laughs) I guess it's all going to boil down to another classic uh, Democratic spending versus Republican thrift battle after the Obama years have seen the federal spending budget balloon by... 8% following eight years of belt tightening under Bush in which the federal spending budget shrank by minus 89%. (laughs) Isn't that that the same as growing by 89%? No, no, that must be wrong. That must be wrong. No, no. no, That can't be right. That doesn't make any sense. Under Bush, government spending shrank to almost twice its previous level. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That sounds I'm, better. Yeah, I'm glad I've got that right. I mean, some of these figures might be wrong because I was using an Excel <laughs> spreadsheet from whitehouse.gov. So it's probably basically Soviet propaganda. <laughs> but America, is it still true that the American government is currently spending 50% more than it's earning? But I would say, yeah, only what young ones. America is only in its, what, 230s? 200, yeah. 220s. It's still young as a nation, John. Still young as a nation. You've got to splash the cash about, Andy. It's quite burning a hole in America's <laughs> pocket. Have fun. Greatest idea in human history news now. And, Andy, humans have had many good ideas over the years. Uh, There was the invention of fire. Uh, Then there was the invention of marshmallows to toast on that fire. (laughs) And then there was the iPhone. 
so there are three good <laughs> ideas right there. I can't, I can't think of any others right now, but I'm sure there must have been some in between. Can you get, an, the app, point... can you get an iPhone app in which you toast marshmallows on a fire? Well, uh, if you couldn't, about 40 seconds after you say that, <laughs> I think you probably can now. Uh, well, a new idea has emerged uh, now which may put all previous ideas to shame. If Archimedes, Andy, had thought of this particular idea in the bath, he'd have had a second public order charge on his record due to another case of indecent exposure running around <laughs> Syracuse with his wang flying around like an ancient Greek wooden helicopter. Now, this, this idea came from two Germans. Let's deal with the elephant in the room straight away, Andy. The, the Germans have had a lot of bold ideas over the years, and to put it mildly, not all of them have been good ones. But this, but this idea, Andy, on the scale of Germanic ideas, is at the top end. Oh, right, OK. This, but is, more, is it, more is it, is, you know, we're talking more the idea of giving little Mozart a piano for his birthday when he was three. <laughs> That's right. That's that kind of idea, not, not growing a little moustache and trying out a funny walk. <laughs> Right, what, what I'm saying is this idea is so good, it's essentially on the scale the opposite of the Holocaust. <laughs> oh, now, I am not saying that they balance each other out at okay, all. Right. I'm just a, saying that this that, is as an idea, this it, is as good an idea as the idea to exterminate millions of innocent people was a bad idea. That's right. all I'm saying. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that is, a, that is a seesaw with an extremely oddly placed <laughs> pivot. <laughs> That's right. Or one massively fat boy on one end. Now... <laughs> What happened was this. Two German entrepreneurs have apparently pioneered a new system to help people deal with pent-up anger and blow off some steam. They've launched a premium phone line that you can call and then verbally abuse the person on the other end (laughs) of the line. The swearing hotline, known as Schumpfloss, swear away in German, has operators standing by seven days a week so that you can call them up and scream at them using whatever language gives you the most... Emotional relief. And, Andy, this isn't made for you. You can conjure up a swear word, Andy. You are a sorcerer of the swear word. You're a cursing Cardini. You're the David Copperfield of the cuss. Yeah. Are you expecting me to come up with one on the spot, John? Like, flamscrankle. How about that? <laughs> now, you might, you might think that this is a bad job to be one of those... Phone operators just on the other end of Hang this, on, this not tornado just, of abuse. Is this just not any customer service helpline? Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Now, if you work for a call centre, this basically happens to you every day anyway. <laughs> you are systematically and spectacularly verbally abused. It's just that you don't get paid accordingly. It's just basically working for Delta Airlines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where's my f***ing plane? <laughs> Apparently... When callers are not creative in their swearing or find that, you know, get, get stumble over their words a bit, operators are supposed to assist them by provoking them, <laughs> saying things like, that's the third time I've heard that today, and is that all you've got? <laughs> oh. And the, this is, it's just sensational. And for a start, it is a real shame that this technology wasn't around in Germany before, because... <laughs> If they'd had access to this technology 100 years ago, we might have all had a significantly more pleasant 20th century. That's right. Just blow the steam off. Blow Just the steam off. blow it off. off. Why let... are they getting all the jobs? <laughs> <laughs> so, Andy, what I'm saying is, let's call them now. OK, let's call, let's call them. <laughs> Let's, let's call them. OK. I, I was going to Let's just give... I suppose they want their number to be given away. So let's... <laughs> apparent, just so you know, apparently this service costs one... One euro forty nine per minute, which is uh, the uh, the owners say is completely justified. Yeah, saying for, ge- for getting everything off your chest, it's a bargain. Yeah. So 
That's that's so here we go. Uh Paul it's uh, it's 0900 3960690. God, I hope this is the right number. We don't just end up shouting at a random German person. Your call cannot be completed. As oh, oh you. man! Fuck you! Go f yourself, Germany! Oh, Not for the fucking first time! That is fucking bullshit! The one fucking good idea you've had over the last century that didn't involve fucking killing people! Fuck you! <laughs> I'm going to try it now with the zero. We're sorry. Your call cannot be completed. Oh, you off, Germany! You Germany! Oh, this is, oh, these things never come in ones with Germany. It's always twos with a sequel. <laughs> sake. Oh, f this is just, oh. oh, that's f unbelievable. Fucking... Fucking... Scheiße, <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Oh. Well, look, well, I'm gonna... I don't know. The, clearly, there's a problem yeah. getting through on that number, Buglers. We'll, we're going to try. Have, it basically have the same effect, though, doesn't it? Well, Just yeah, without it was a German good. voice feel... coming back at you. Yeah, I feel. I feel great. I feel well exercised. I think we'll like... try at some point over the next few weeks. We might try doing it yeah. over Skype, which, uh, yeah. which might my, work. My, my swear dolphins have certainly. Certainly kicked in. Oh, I feel good. Yeah. I feel good. Oh, thank you, Germany, and uh, f you. Corruption news now, and India has jumped into the uh, corruption ring. As well, in fact, it basically lives in the corruption ring. If uh, on my trip to India last year, pick up any Indian newspaper, you have to turn to about page twenty-one for any news that isn't related to some form of corruption. <laughs> and uh, a minister in India's. Uh, most popular state, Uttar Pradesh, uh, has said that bureaucrats can steal a little as long as they work hard. <laughs> Shivlal yeah. Singh Yadav told yeah. a, a gathering of local officials, officials in comments caught on a secret camera. He said, if you work hard and put your heart and soul to it, then you're allowed to steal some. But, <laughs> but don't be a bandit. <laughs> and I can't work out... Quite what I feel about that. That is either refreshingly honest or depressingly defeatist. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is, yeah. it, is the extent of India's movement to tackle corruption, Andy, basically taking the same attitude to corruption that most parents take to their kids <laughs> underage drinking? Look, I know you're going to do it. Just take it easy, will you? <laughs> take it easy. Well, it's basically the same attitude that Mitt Romney has to taxation. <laughs> so, you know, who are we to judge? It's that? true. That is exactly true. Look, look you are allowed to... Avoid tax, just don't be a bandit about it. <laughs> I paid 13%. Yeah, it's not like he was paying 0%. <laughs> uh, but I want to know if Mr Yadav is prepared to roll this out to other crimes and say, if you've been very good all your life and never killed anyone, then you are allowed to clonk someone around the head with a crowbar and steal their wallet. <laughs> that is only fair. The, the uh, Minister Yadav uh, immediately panicked and called a news conference going into damage control mode and claiming that his comments had been taken out of context, saying, 
In that event, the media was not allowed in. <laughs> I don't know how they sneaked in. And if they had sneaked in, the whole discussion should have come out in the press, not just part of it. <laughs> Going on to say, and I'll tell you why I'm really confused about how they got in, because I had paid them all <laughs> off to not be there. But, but don't worry, I didn't go overboard. It was a reasonable backhander. No one went full bandits. That was my point all along. Uh, Uttar Pradesh was earlier governed by Dalit Queen Mayawati, uh, who was mm. criticised for spending millions of rupees on building statues of herself, <laughs> uh, despite and buying diamond jewellery, despite widespread malnutrition and poverty in <laughs> Uttar Pradesh. Sounds like she was the uh, Indian female Donald Trump, Andy. Well, yeah, but fair enough. I mean, how is she supposed to offer a symbol of hope to her struggling people, to the poor and malnutrited? If she yes. isn't allowed to build statues of herself, which simply scream out, one day, if you eat more and earn more money, this could be you. Yes. She's an inspiration, John. An inspiration to us all. That's right. Feature section now and official Bugle Olympics closing ceremony. Well, Britain did it, Andy. And I think whether you liked the opening... And closing ceremonies of the London Olympics or not, I don't think you can claim that any country has ever taken those ceremonies less seriously. (laughs) Reuniting the Spice Girls, Andy, only to make them stand on the top of illuminated taxis and hang on for dear life as they were driven bizarrely quickly around the stadium as if they were competing for a fair. The, The closing ceremony started with a tribute to traffic. Who does that, Andy? Who thinks, what do we want, the parting lasting memory of this city and its wonderful games to be in the eyes of the world. Oh, how about the fact that traffic in London can be a f***ing nightmare? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want that to not be a feature of the show somehow. Oh, and also, how about we strap the Spice Girls to the top of some cars and then basically race them? That would be fun too. <laughs> in its most inexplicable moment, Russell Brand uh, rode a bus into the arena dressed as Willy Wonka before p- performing a version of I Am The Walrus which was the equivalent of unloading a gun into John Lennon's grave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not... I mean, if you're putting together a you know, a cocktail of British musical culture, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, you've got to give the organisers credit for balancing out you know, some of the best, you know, The Who, iconic rock yes. bands, with some of the absolute shittest <laughs> in... The Spice Girls, an embarrassing yes. episode we're desperately trying to forget, and Russell Brand, who is not a singer. So that's brave. I mean, it's brave to show good and bad. I, 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 I did not see the opening ceremony to the Munich Olympics in 1972, but I'm guessing it was not as balanced as that. <laughs> Sorry, we'll let it go. We'll let it go. Also, there were lots of massive newspapers in this closing ceremony, it was uh, the whole sort of opening yeah. 20 minutes was played out and stuff made of massive newspapers. I guess that's a tribute mm-hmm. to the industry that has done so much in recent years to make this nation proud and happy. <laughs> Indirectly, by pneumatic drilling through the bottom of the moral barrel, so spectacularly that the people of Britain were provoked into reacting and thinking, hang the f*** on, we are better than this. And I'm going to prove it by wearing a potentially lethal purple shirt, working for no money, waving a big foam finger around and being outwardly excited at the privilege of not being paid for stuff and smiling at strangers for fauna without it starting to feel weird. I want my Britain back! <laughs> All thanks to the newspapers, John. Heroes. Uh, 
Now, the successful athletes in the Olympics sometimes return home to sudden fame, lots of endorsement <laughs> offers and parades in their honour. And there have been some great stories like this. Uh, Kashawn Walcott, the javelin thrower from Trinidad and Tobago, uh, won that nation's first ever Olympic gold medal in field events. He threw 84.58 metres and upon getting home was awarded £100,000 uh, around 20,000 square feet of land, and had a lighthouse named after him. Uh, he'll also have his name on a Caribbean Airlines plane and will be given a luxury home. Not bad going, Andy, for yep. throwing a pointy stick just under 85 metres. <laughs> yeah. I, I reckon I could throw one about 20 metres. Can, can I at least get a lighthouse named after me over there? Yeah, some reports did say that he was actually given this lighthouse. Others said that he was named after him. But let's just assume that he was given a lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if he has to run that lighthouse because that seems, you know, that I don't know if you know being able to throw a javelin a long way is really a skill that you necessarily require if you. Well, unless the management you know, of a lighthouse. Unless you throw it at a ship, yeah. you know, to warn it, it clangs off the side of the ship and then warns them that they're about yeah. to get too close to some rocks. Well, I guess that I guess also, that makes sense. That does away with the light pollution as well from lighthouses, which is quite annoying <laughs> if you live near a lighthouse. Right. Whereas the javelin, if it's just going straight out to sea, that's not going to disturb anyone, is it? Apart from the, that's it. the ship. That, that, is, that is their way of doing an environmentally friendly lighthouse. Yeah. And he can turn throw... the light off and have an Olympic javelin thrower throw javelins at ships. <laughs> oh, clang, we must be around 85 metres from some rocks. <laughs> Thank you, Kashawn. <laughs> I was... Uh... I was watching that live. I was sat up behind the the, uh, the runway for the javelin, and uh, it was quite early in the competition that he threw his 80, 84, 80, about 84 metres 50, I think, and it wasn't clear that he was going to win, but it was his personal best, and he just sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty mm-hmm. good. And I looked at the crowd. Said, yeah, I've done pretty well there. Yeah. He did, not like, he did not look like a man who wanted to own a lighthouse at that point. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to tell with sports because they, you know, they're, they're trying to cover up their emotions. But yeah. he was not... He did not celebrate that throw by running to the crowds, standing up like a lighthouse and spinning his head round, <laughs> firing, just, firing beams putting, out of his eyes. Yeah, putting a flashlight in his mouth and yeah. just turning around slowly, turning it on and off. <laughs> but, you know, if that's what a javelin thrower gets in Trinidad, Andy, what does a multiple gold medal winning British athlete get? Because you know, Britain went Olympics crazy over Team GB, and yeah. I bet they really came through when it came time to reward our winners... Well, <laughs> Olymp- Olympic gold medal winner Ben Ainsley had a post box in Limington painted gold in his honour. <laughs> wow, Andy, he must have been thrilled when he found that out. Was he thinking, um, is my £100,000 cheque inside the post box there, <laughs> along with the keys to my new luxury lighthouse? Are they inside? Will, will I be getting them in the mail in a few days? What's that? This is it. A gold-painted postbox. Well, I'm so glad that I devoted decades of my life to this sport, <laughs> and I'm even more glad that you seem to appreciate that sacrifice so much. <laughs> but in fact, they've painted uh, postboxes gold for every single gold medal winner in their... Well, that's good. Well, but that's it's caused good. a lot of controversy because there's some you know, disputes over where they should be painted. Should it be in the birthplace of these athletes, where they grew up or where they currently live, which is why the Limington... Uh, I mean, Limington basically almost broke down into civil war over this golden postbox because they'd already painted another one somewhere else for Ben Ainsley. Right. And then a man in Limington unilaterally painted one for the town that he now lives and was, was then threatened with... I think he was arrested, wasn't he, for criminal damage <laughs> oh for painting God. a postbox. But this show, there have been militant acts of painting postboxes gold. Yeah. This is about as revolutionary as Britain yeah. gets these days. 
This is this was, this is as close as we've been to chopping off King Charles's head. <laughs> we've laid low for a while, and now it's just painting post boxes gold. He's uh, they the uh, the uh, Hampshire police have backed down and saying they will now be taking no further action against him after an outcry of public support. Uh, for the renegade postbox painter. So just to be clear, <laughs> it's not that Ben Ainsley has had a, a postbox painted gold in his hometown in his honour. It's that he's had someone not prosecuted for doing that <laughs> for him in his honour instead. <laughs> Thank you, heroes of Team GB. <laughs> I guess the uh, the argument's already beginning over the legacy of the Olympic Games. We spent £9 billion on it, uh, roughly a lot of money. Enough money that nothing major should have gone wrong, but a drop into the ocean, I guess, compared with the trillions that have been wazzed into the financial abyss trying to placate the fundamentally unstable Odin that runs the global markets. So I guess (laughs) on that scale, it's been a bargain, John, for the happiness and simple joy it has brought to Britain for the vicarious pleasure of watching someone win in a sport that almost no other countries take seriously. Uh, (laughs) Sure, we could have built a few more hospitals or a new gold-plated school, but it shouldn't be an either-or choice, John. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, even if the Olympics had resulted in the deaths of two and a half million people through TVs exploding under the excitement of the BBC's commentary, that is a price worth paying for all the sport. And finally, some sad news from the end of the Olympics. And Olympic mascot Wenlock is recovering in hospital after falling off Nelson's column whilst in a state of what police have described as industrial-level intoxication. The giant metallic sperm, symbolic of the sperms that helped create so many of the Olympic athletes at the London Games and of the sperms that also helped give life to the Games volunteers, was sighted atop the Trafalgar Square landmark at 5.30am on Monday morning, trying to shove Nelson, the former captain of Team GB's sailing squad, um, back in the day when that was a real sport, off his famous perch while shouting, I'm Britain's hero now, you won I f***ing has been. <laughs> when Locke reportedly lost his footing whilst fumbling in Nelson's pocket, saying, where's your telescope, you dirty old sea dog? Let's see if we can have a peek into the Queen's bedroom from here. But fortunately, the mascot landed on top of one of the lions at the foot of the column, which were originally made from bronze before being replaced with rubberized foam replicas in 1940 after Winston Churchill, also in a state of inebriation, had to be winched down from the top of the column during the Blitz while swearing at the Luftwaffe. The lions were specifically placed where Churchill was most likely to land, given the aerodynamics of his tummy. Wenlock, who has been romantically linked with heptathlon gold medalist Jessica Ennis, after being seen near her as she celebrated her gold medal, and also with the IOC committee member Gunilla Lindberg of Sweden, actress-singer Barbara Streisand, and with disgraced uh, Belarusian gold medal winning, then losing shot putter Nadzea Ostapchuk, uh, who was last seen departing Heathrow Airport cuddling a replica Wenlock and muttering, well, at least the gold medal wasn't the only thing I was stripped of last night. The giant sperm mascot was actually based on one of the 1924 100-metre gold medalist Harold Abrahams' sperms from the British Olympic Association's secret vaults where they retained gamete samples from all medal-winning British athletes and have been conducting a secret IVF breeding programme ever since a historically poor performance at the Helsinki Games of 1952. Here endeth the Olympic lesson. Your emails now, and this one came in from Ian who says, Dear Andy, John and Chris, over the last two weeks, the Co-Olympics brought a new understanding and appreciation of sports. I now understand everything Andy has ever said about sport. Does this mean the rest of the things I've always written off as bullshit might actually be true? (laughs) My perception of reality has been shattered. All hell, Andy, the prophet of truth. You've just had your equilibrium thrown way off. (laughs) The prophet of truth. Oh, my God. Well, there's an explanation for this, and that is that sport is basically pretend. So I Mm -hmm. I find it easy to be truthful about sport because it is basically a lie. So 
That's the only th- that's the only way I can be truthful about anything is pretend. It's basically the same way that the Catholic Church works. <laughs> uh, well, that's all we got time for because we've uh, overrun again, and we're about to be uh, forcibly thrown out or shot in the studio in London. Here, they're getting increasingly militant, uh, and uh, so we won't be back next week. Uh, I'm on holiday at a campsite in France where they have a compulsory mm. compulsory speedos rule in the swimming pool. Oh boy! Is, oh boy! I mean, I don't know what. You know, France is supposed to be a nation of culture. And they will not allow people to wear shorts in a swimming pool. <laughs> I mean, they're prepared... I mean, I accept the cruelty to animals, but cruelty to humans... Yeah, that's a whole different kettle of cats. <laughs> uh, we will try and put something out next week. And then uh, with the two weeks of the conventions, we will try, if John's uh, hectic uh, convention yes. and wife-finding schedule allows to put... Uh, <laughs> To we'll try. I mean, what kind of wife are you looking for this time, John? Are you going to get more of the same know. or something different? I wasn't. I wasn't really looking for one last time, right. so we, uh, I'll take whatever's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's best to go into these things with an open mind. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Pick one up for me if you find one. Sure, I've had mine for and ages. I could do with an upgrade. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy explaining that comment, Andy. <laughs> That's it for today, Buglers. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.